Are you dissatisfied with your spiritual progress, feeling stuck without knowing why, even after deliverance prayers or years of therapy? Recover your dignity, find your purpose, and discover the thrill of walking with God once again. Explore spiritual consultations with Sonia at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Click Go Deeper on the homepage, then one-on-one, and find out how to cooperate more deeply with the Holy Spirit's action in your life with a spiritual consultation. If you like having Bible study in your pocket and you have an iPhone or iPad, why not leave a review? Search Bible Study Evangelista in iTunes and tell everyone how you're loving and lifting all you've been given. Here's Sonia. study evangelista show and i'm sonia corbett your catholic evangelista here in our last episode of our cherished series how god uses your vocation to heal you and not just them in fact it's all about you as we saw in the last couple of shows and if we can keep our minds and our hearts on that and keep that as our focus we will stop looking at the other person or the other people in our relationships as the enemy And focus on the real enemy, which is the enemy. (laughs) Ultimately, the spiritual enemy, Satan himself. He is the one who always attacks us in our woundedness, and he does so through other people. But they are not the enemy. The enemy is not your spouse. It's not your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not your priest. It's not the people at all. The enemy is the enemy. And so when we focus on the true enemy, as Genesis 3 instructs us and shows us to do, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, the one who stirs up division, if we can hate intelligently, as a friend of mine likes to say, that enmity that we see in Genesis 3, if we can hate intelligently, which is to understand the psychology of of evil or the psychology of the enemy, if we keep our focus on that and not the people around us, we can heal. We see outlined for us in Genesis 3 that there is enmity between the woman and her seed. The woman ultimately being Mary or by extension the whole church and the enemy which is Satan and so our Hatred should be for him and his tactics and his deceit and his exploitation of our wounds. We hate intelligently by hating that, not the other person. And we understand the psychology of evil, which is destruction and division. First of all, to separate us from God and then to separate us from one another. So anytime you are being accused in your heart and mind and you think that those are your own thoughts, those are not your own thoughts. Those come from outside of you. Those are an attack of the enemy. When you are accused by another person, that's where we have to evaluate that love relationship. And we looked at authentic love last week. We we have to evaluate whether those criticisms are legitimate or not. And if they are, then we adjust our behavior to be more loving. We're constantly in pursuit of love. And that's why we looked, first of all, at our neediness and the fact that God made us needy. It's not pathetic or weak or any of the other disgusting things that we think of when we think of weakness. 
in God, our weakness is actually our strength. St. Paul says, and not only are we to lean into the neediness that we are all made with and go to God with that and look to him to fulfill our needs and to provide for our needs and to satisfy our needs, most deeply that need for for eternal, unending, bottomless love, we go to him for that and with that. And when we focus on him rather than the people around us to fulfill those needs, then we have made a huge leap in being cherished and experiencing what it means to be cherished because the people around us, they cannot satisfy that need. It is bottomless. It is eternal. You were made with an eternal need to be cherished. So we looked at that first because in order to experience what it means to be cherished and know authentic love, we have to know where to go to get it. It's not in the other people around us. It's about us and the kingdom of God being within us. The fact that we're made from that love, that it sustains our our whole being and that we must connect with that love on a daily basis. So here is a word again on daily prayer. You must be in daily prayer. You must. You must be able to connect with that love in whom we live and move and have our being. You must be doing that on a daily basis or you can't heal. You can't experience what it means to be cherished if you can't trust. And all of us come into adulthood with all kinds of baggage, all kinds of wounds, and we bring those into our relationships. We don't know how to love authentically and we don't know what it looks like. And so we have to learn and we learn that on each other. And what's beautiful, I think, about that probably more than anything, is that God knows that we're all very, very limited in our understanding of true, authentic love, and yet he uses it anyway. So there's no room then for this self, self-condemnation that we don't love perfectly, the people around us, particularly our children. You know, we, we get all sucked into this guilt that, you know, we've wounded our kids And it's inevitable. We're just going to. And so we have to go to God to make those adjustments for us and help us to seek their forgiveness where we know we've wronged them and help them heal as well. And so it's all this big process, right? But we need to be really patient with each other and have that self-knowledge of our, of that love inside of us and heal within that perfectly so that we can then love authentically other people. St. Paul actually encourages us to not just lean into our weakness, but he says that he even boasts of his weakness because the power of Christ rests upon him. God's grace is made perfect. His power is perfect in weakness. So if we cannot embrace our weakness, if we can't celebrate it even, and not just lean into it, but actually boast about it and really live from that weakness Knowing that we're connected to love always at every breath, at every moment that we are connected to that love, we connect with that love every day in prayer and we connect with that love in other people and we will heal and we will offer that healing to other people. Now, I want to kind of spend a little more time on Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, um, and then I'll talk about our next series 
And I want to share a little bit about what's going on with me and my husband and our marriage and how God has healed us. But in Ephesians 5, that passage on marriage, and, and I, I go back to this over and over. I'm going to reiterate it. I go back to the marriage idea because we're all ultimately married to God. No matter what our vocation is, we're married to God. God is our husband. And so we have to go back and draw on that that metaphor that God himself uses in his word to show us what it means to be cherished. And so the Catholic uh, commentary on that passage, it talks about how baptism confers equality on all individuals from the viewpoint of religion, but in society of which the family is at once the smallest and the most important unit, there is a natural hierarchy. So we talked about that hierarchy and that order of authority. The husband is the head, the wife is subject to him, and by baptism, the order is is ennobled. It's, it's lifted by grace. And Paul compares it with the love of Christ for the church, who he is the head of the church. So there's not room then for any kind of fear or control Because if the husband is the head, then the wife is the heart. And so in using his authority, the husband has to take his model as as Christ's love, as Jesus's love for the whole church. St. John Chrysostom says, you have seen the measure of obedience. Here also the measure of love. Would you have your wife obedient to you as Christ is to the church? Then take then yourself the same provident care for her as Christ takes for the church. Yes, even if it's needful for you to give your life for her, refuse not. So Jesus's love for the church is perfect. He delivered himself up completely for it. And that act on the cross of supreme love had its goal and its effect, a baptism of the church through which the church is made holy. That laver of water, it talks about the washing of water. And that's a metaphor based on the bath of water that the Greeks used to use. Well, a bride did on the eve of her marriage, but also the Greeks, the Greeks as they bathed, the Romans too, they would, the husband would bathe the wife. And so you can see that that bathing or that baptism has both a purification and a religious significance. So in the word in that passage in Ephesians 5, that's that laver of water. And so you get the sense of the purification and the sanctification that's conferred on the church by the death of Christ. And it's a type of baptism. So in a sense, the husband who truly loves his wife as Christ loves the church baptizes her in his love. And so in this passage, in this metaphor, you can see a sacramental formula. So men should love their wives as their own bodies. And that obviously is not a carnal love, but this generous sacrificial love. And it has to be ennobled or lifted or or um, elevated by grace is why we have that sacrament of matrimony. And so this unique union between the husband and wife, it's iterated there in a reference to Genesis where a man leaves his mother and father and he he clings to his wife. And so Paul is showing that this is a permanent union. And by its very nature, it's instituted by God in the time of Adam and Eve. And so it's a great sacrament, a mystery, he says. The word sacrament means mystery, ultimately. So that the union of man and wife described in Genesis has a hidden meaning besides the obvious one of giving and receiving of each party. 
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spares That Taste Like Cake. Let's get social. I'm no longer on Facebook, so come and connect with me in the new Catholic Evangelista community. Visit BibleStudyEvangelista.com and click Community on the menu, or scroll down to the radio notes and click the link to our community. We're sharing pics and prayers, love the word takeaways and insights on the daily readings, and everything else social. Come share with me. Sonia created the Love the Word Bible Study Method just for you, based on Mary's personal practice and formulated for your personality and temperament. Get your Love the Word meditations every Monday morning by signing up at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. The mystery of marriage, the church tells us, is it doesn't mean that it's hard to understand or that it's not understandable, but that it's important. It has a it has a weight to it. And the mystery is, Paul says, referring to Christ and the church, the husband and the wife in their union, God created a type of of the future union between Christ and the church. And that means that marriage is big. It's not just a union. It's not just permanent, but it implies a holiness too. So unity in marriage is supposed to be a bond of supernatural grace. And that grace elevates both of the parties to holiness. And so the the whole point of marriage, both a, a marriage with God or a marriage as in a sacramental marriage of matrimony, the point then is the sanctity of both of the partners. So so then the point of marriage is the holiness of the two who have become one and their children. And that's why the church tells us that for those with the vocation to the sacrament of matrimony, it is the path of sanctity. In part, that is so because we learn what authentic love is and what it's not, we grow in our own healing through the necessarily deficient love of the other person because it forces us to go to God for our needs, or it should. And in going to God for our needs to satiate that need to be cherished and the for the provision of all of the things that we need, Then we start to heal ourselves and we then know how to offer that kind of authentic love to the spouse. And that by extrapolation, that includes those who are in religious life or even the priesthood, because the priest is married to the church. Those who are in religious life, they are married to God and they learn love through their brothers and sisters in community. Singles learn that authentic love through the relationships that they have as well. So all of us, because we're married to God, (laughs) this applies to all of us. I share quite often how this has worked out in my own marriage. So I brought in a terrible father wound to my marriage, and I projected all of my suspicions and my hurts and my wounds onto my husband. And I had to learn very quickly and, and God got started on it right away. As soon as I started a daily quiet time with God in the scriptures, he began to, to confront me in the most gentle, s- sweet, precious way 
about what the Bible calls vomit. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. And I had just had a huge pop quiz, which I didn't call it that at the time because I didn't know. But I had a terrible fight with my husband. And it was embarrassing. My behavior was embarrassing. I was I was ashamed. I was bewildered by the the force of it. And and I couldn't even believe it came out of me, to be honest. But it was it alerted me to the fact that something was very wrong inside of me. There was something in me that that provoked a small a small conflict with my husband and turned it into this enormous crazy explosion of wrath and when I saw that the dog returns to his vomit I saw that that was a pattern and and then I started to look at my own behavior and, and my own pattern of behavior and I realized I do have a pattern here and when I got with God and he started to really work with me he showed me the stop tool which helped me get control of my my behavior on the outside And then I started to stuff it because I didn't know what else to do with all my anger. And then he taught me to come to him. So we, the stop tool, we sin not, we tell God, we offer the right sacrifice. We put our trust in God, S-T-O-P, that comes directly from Psalm 4-4. That was a tool that God gave me to start getting control of my anger, my behavior. And I also recognized there that to stuff it was just as destructive as it was to be aggressive. And so I had to learn how to find some balance there. I had to go to God and say, well, what am I supposed to do with this? And so most of this took place between me and God. It wasn't even really with my husband, except that my husband provoked me with his gift of criticism. He has a very, he had a very negative view of life. He was very pessimistic and I'm not naturally that way. And I have often said that I felt like a balloon living with a cactus, I mean, I was constantly trying to keep myself buoyed up. And if I if I got a little bit down or I lacked some of that that upness, <laughs> I had to be careful because if I fell too far, he would pop me with his prickles, you know, and it wasn't until very, gosh, 20 years into our marriage that I started to see how God does this same process with other people. I started calling those eruptions pop quizzes. I started sharing with other people how God uses pop quizzes to provoke your wounds, or he doesn't use them to provoke them. He allows the enemy to provoke your wounds so that the Holy Spirit can draw your attention to the places where he's working in you to heal you of your woundedness so that you'll cooperate with him, so that you'll go to him in the hurt and in the conflict and ask him for his point of view so that you can see what he's doing. And when you're, when you do that, everything changes. Suddenly you realize, oh my gosh, it's not an attack by this person. It's the Holy Spirit trying to heal me. And then you're, I I got really excited about that. I would just get over the emotion of one pop quiz and I would see how God was using it to heal me. And I would, the emotion would, would dissipate and I would begin to see clearly and I would go right back to him and say, okay, give me another one. (laughs) Give me another pop quiz. And gradually I, I leaned into that process of healing. I accepted my sufferings as that process. Suddenly my sufferings didn't bother me anymore. Not in the sense that, that they were only bitter. Suddenly they had a real value, a salvific value, which St. John Paul II talks about in his document on the meaning of suffering, which we'll talk about in the next series in depth. But 
suddenly my sufferings, I loved my sufferings. And I know that is so bizarre, but the saints talk about that. How can you have joy in your suffering? You can have joy in your suffering knowing that God is healing you through them if you'll cooperate with him. And and as I did that, and, and the process of it was so exciting, it was also hurtful because there was a whole lot of self-knowledge going on in there and the knowledge of my wounds and where they came from. And I had to really look at the pain of, of some of the things that, that happened to me in my childhood and my relationship with my dad and my relationship with my husband. And so the Holy Spirit then allowed my husband to provoke me over and over and over again in my wound in order to heal that. But ultimately, it wasn't about my husband and my husband's fault. It was about me and my wound. However, once I was healed, then I could see clearly and I could say to my husband, this is wrong and you need to stop it. It's hurtful, not just to me, but it's hurtful to our children too. And if you continue on with this negativity and this critical spirit, you're going to break them the way I was broken as a child. And that was one of my terrible terrors was that my husband would do to my kids what my dad had done to me. And Paul himself warns about that. Fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. And we look at our kids and we wonder why they're not part of the faith or why they've, they've abandoned the faith altogether. And it's because we're such terrible, authentic lovers. <laughs> but God knows that, right? And so, so don't despair. That was my worry. And I went to my husband with it after I could. And, and I kept trying to tell him that. But because I was so emotional and so aggressive in my anger all the time, he, he couldn't hear me. It wasn't until I got my emotion under control through some healing that I could say to him with without the emotion, without the anger, I could say to him, this is a problem and you need to work on it. And I started putting boundaries in place, both for me and for the kids and my husband, to his credit and, and all of the, the graces that God has been good enough to give us. He listened. And so he tried he, this is one of the greatest gifts of my husband. If I go to him and I ask him to do something for me, if I tell him I need this, he will, he will die trying to do it. Now, it doesn't mean he does it perfectly because he doesn't. But just the fact that he's trying is enough. It's enough. And so as, as I got healed, I had to go first and I went first because I had that daily relationship with God and I, I leaned into that healing that God was trying to do through my sufferings that came through my husband. And as I did that, I began to be able to assist my husband, not in a verbal way, a nagging way, a controlling way, a manipulative way, but in an absolute truth way. This is a problem. It's going to be a problem for our kids if you don't get control of it. I'm healed. And so no matter what you say now, it's not going to affect me. <laughs> I mean, I'm done with that. I am done letting letting your words and your criticisms affect me like they have in the past. I'm done with that. I realize now that that's that's your problem. You have a problem with negativity and criticism, and it's not going to be my problem anymore. And once I was able to do that and start putting some boundaries in place, loving boundaries, he began to change too. And so you can see how we heal one another. And that's what happens in our marriages. That's the whole point. We teach one another how to love authentically by putting boundaries in place for one another.
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake. Did you know you can get Bible Study Evangelista radio notes and podcasts delivered to your inbox every Monday morning? Redeem your Mondays. Join thousands of your fellow listeners by subscribing at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. are of the Lord. Just look at the Ten Commandments and you can see that that's true. But they have to be erected out of love and they have to be erected in an effort to bring the other person to repentance. Because without repentance, there can be no reconciliation. And without a reconciliation, there cannot be a relationship. And thankfully, by grace, my husband is not stupid and he does love us. And so he made the changes that he needed to make, and I had made the changes that I needed to make, and we're still making those. It's not like we've arrived and everything's perfect in our marriage, but they're so much better. And then we came to a point where my husband had, he had gotten control of his tongue, and I worried that he was stuffing a lot of that emotion. At the same time, he was in a job that was absolutely brutal, just brutal, especially according to his personality and temperament. My husband has a an acute sense of justice. And so that makes him, it makes him judgmental and it makes him a Pharisee sometimes. Not in the sense that he, he wants to keep the rules for the sake of the rules, but in the, the sense of superiority and of judgment of other people. And so his criticisms were so judgmental, they were condemning. And what was interesting is that the he he was relieved of that from me, but then he began experiencing experiencing it in a really heavy, difficult way at church. So you can see that the Holy Spirit is persistent, and he's he if you if you get it down pat in one area, but you still haven't healed, he'll offer it to you in another area. So my husband was really working on. Of course, he didn't know about it, I don't think, very much. But he was really working on how to deal living in his own personality and temperament in a way that wasn't destructive for himself and other people. He was careful to do that at home. But then at work, you know, you have to stuff it or you get fired. So he couldn't just say everything that he wanted to say all the time. And that caused a real backup of anger for him. And so he was coming home all the time. He was a bear. And you talk about living with a cactus. It got to be unbearable. I Here I was trying to work in ministry and trying to, and it was like this constant assault from the enemy through him in a different way. And I knew that it wasn't about me, but it was still very hard because I have an empathic personality myself and I felt his emotion. I felt his anger and it was, it was a constant, it really did feel like a spiritual attack both on him and me. And so I asked him, and this has been pretty recent, I asked him to talk to someone who does 
what I do because I knew that I could not lead my husband through this process. It had to be someone else. And the only person that I knew who did something similar to what I do, it's not fully the same, but it's sort of, it's got some deliverance stuff um, as a focus. I went to that person and I said, hey, I mean, do you have room anywhere for my husband? And at that time, my husband had had rotator cuff surgery and was home from work. This was after COVID. And he was home from work and he had the time. He had the time to actually meet with this person on a weekly basis, a couple hours a a week. And he did that and he went through some deliverance. And I am telling you, he came out of that with an understanding of the real battle. The real battle is not the people around you It is in yourself. And he started to understand that and employ the tools that I have been giving you to battle the true enemy. The true enemy is the enemy, Satan himself. And as soon as his focus changed to that enemy, everything began to change for him. And I am here to tell you, my husband is the person that I knew he could be and really was under all of that woundedness that he brought into our marriage from his mother. My husband now is that person that he really was underneath all of that woundedness. He, he, I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful because after he went through that process I was sitting in morning prayer and it was during the spiritual gifts conference, if you remember that. And in the readings was a passage out of Acts that that said, go take your place in the temple. And as I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is pretty cool because I was thinking about the spiritual gifts thing. And I'm like, that's exactly what we're calling everybody to do is to take your place in the church through your spiritual gifts. Take your place, use your gifts help edify the church and help build the church up, help renew the church. And as I sat there with that, I really felt like the Holy Spirit was pointing. He kept pointing me back to that verse. And and I, you know, I, I kept seeing it that way. And it was suddenly I saw my husband. And it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, no, I mean him. And I suddenly knew exactly what the Holy Spirit was saying. Years ago, my husband and I spoke together about the possibility of him working with me in ministry full time. And because of his gift of criticism and because of that, that whole cloud of anger, I mean, it was like pig pen. It followed him everywhere. And because of that, I just knew with my sensitivity, there was going to be no way that I could work with him under that constant onslaught in my ministry. I knew it. I knew there was no way that could ever be done. And so we spoke about it, but it was just not something that I entertained. I mean, just the thought of it, just the thought of it made me anxious. My chest got tight. You know, I'm like, look, I I believed in this thing for 15, 20 years before it ever came to pass. And I kept saying that it was going to, and nobody believed me, but I kept working on it and look where we are. And now you're going to come in and try to tell me how to do this. And you're going to tell me, and I just, no way, no way that was going to work. But suddenly sitting there in morning prayer, I saw his face and I realized it could work now. It actually could work. And I walked into the house and I said, did you get anything out of the readings? And he looked at me and he said, what did you get? I said, what did you get? 
He said, what did you get? And I said, I think you're supposed to come work with me. And tears sprung up into his eyes. And he said, that's what I got. So on the same day, in the same readings, my husband's my husband received from the Holy Spirit the same direction that I received. And we knew that now was the time that he could come and work with me full time. So he never went back to his job. And so now he calls himself my secretary. <laughs> and in the beginning, we thought that that would that would be like um, administrative kinds of things. And he does do some of that. But what we have come to realize over time, and this was, you know, about March, between March and now of this year. And what we've come to realize is that his role is more spiritual. My husband has always taken the spiritual warfare for my ministry and for our family, and he has taken that very seriously. And so this attack in his woundedness that made him so angry all the time, that was really to keep him from doing what he is called to do and what he and from being effective in what he's called to do. And when that piece was removed, when he was healed from from that baggage and from those wounds, and it was, and I have to say that it was so dramatic, I think, for him because he had healed so much. He just didn't have that last piece. He was still focusing on the enemy being other people and not the enemy. So the focus on the real enemy, hating intelligently, the enmity between the serpent and the human, the people, that's the real battle. And as soon as his his focus was directed on that, I mean, everything just clicked. And now we know that his role is more spiritual than it is administrative. Now, he does administrative stuff, but what he's, he's really done which is funny to me, he has taken on so many of the responsibilities here at our house that I have always taken on, taking the kids to school, taking them to piano, taking them to art, um, running those errands to the grocery store, planning the meals, cooking the meals. My husband cooks all the meals now so that I have the time to focus fully on what God has called me to do. And he is in, in his role as a deacon, not in the sacramental sense or the the ordained sense, but in the true sense of service. My husband is of service to me. He is a true, oh goodness, it, it's just amazing. It's amazing. But I want you to see how none of that was really possible until each of us got healed. And I'm sure that there's more, there are more layers to this onion of healing. And I don't mean to imply that we have reached the summit of life or anything like that. I'm just showing you, I'm using us as an example to show you what is possible if we just stay with it and focus on the right thing. The focus is not on the spouse, it's on you. And once you do that, you can be healed. And when you are healed, everybody else around you comes along to varying degrees, depending on the the way they're disposed to receive graces from God. And I know that we have received extraordinary graces simply because of, of what I do. And so I'm not boasting in any of that. All I boast in is Christ crucified, as Paul says. But I'm showing you what is possible. 
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible study spares that taste like cake. If you love having Bible study in your pocket, you can become a friend of the show. Click on the yellow friend of the show button on BibleStudyEvangelista.com and become a supporter of any amount and any frequency. Now, here's Sonia. This is why I do the one-on-one consultations. This is why I, I am doing the masterclass for you so that you can be healed in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, and your strength so that you can be released. Your spiritual gifts can be released. You can be released from these predominant faults. You can be released from this woundedness and this pain so that you can be released into the church to use your spiritual gifts on behalf of the whole church, first for you and your family, and then in your parish, and then in the whole church. And and what's beautiful about it now is that my husband's discernment gift, now he's always had a really strong discernment gift. I have lots of gifts, but that's not one of them. I can't walk into a room and, and just know what's up spiritually. I can... I can speak to someone and I can I can follow the Holy Spirit's wisdom and his direction but I don't just know it. He does. He has a strong gift of discernment. And what we've discovered over just this is actually pretty recent like over the last 2 months or so is he'll tell me you better watch it something's up today. And he gets busy he calls it pushing back. He's pushing back the attack. He's pushing back the spiritual warfare. And he does that standing in his authority as the head of our home and my protector and the kids protector. And I mean, it is hot, man. (laughs) I think it is the sexiest thing ever. My husband is standing in front and between me and my children and the enemy who is knocking at the door every single moment. And men, this is what you're called to. You're called to protect your wife and your family. And you're you're graced with the graces to be able to do it. But you can't do it when you're locked in woundedness, when you're locked in negativity, when you're locked in anger. Because anger is sometimes the only emotion you men think you're able or or have permission to express. But the truth is you're needy. You're needy. And the sooner you accept that and lean into it, the better off you're going to be and the better off your family's going to be and the better off your kids are going to be. We're, our families are in such a mess because we don't have the right hierarchy, the right authority structure in our marriages and in our, in our relationships. We're constantly, women are constantly trying to get in there and, and tell everybody how to do everything and control it and manipulate it. When if we would just simply trust God and, and allow him and them, the, the children and the, the spouse, the freedom to just be wrong. To just, to even be in sin. I had a wise lady one just recently tell me that, you know, God allows his children to sin. So we have to allow our kids to sin sometimes. And I'm talking about adult kids, right? We can't get in and try to to force and manipulate our point of view or even what we know is right. 
We have to give the Holy Spirit the time and the room to work as he is working in us. We don't want to be forced and pushed. We don't want to be nagged. But gentlemen, you are created for this role. You are the you're you stand between the enemy at the door and your family. And now what's so funny, it's kind of a joke now between my husband and I, I'll, you know, get up from morning prayer and I'll say, hey, how's the vibe today? And he'll give me a thumbs up, you know, or he'll say like he did this morning, he actually left really early and he sent me a text and he said, something's up this morning. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just being vigilant, right? And I know now to listen to him. Because he has done that several times and he was right. So I'm relying strongly on his gift of discernment. I'm relying strongly on his authority as the head of our home and our marriage and our our relationship. I rely on that because I rely on Christ through him. And it is the most beautiful. I just, I, I can't even express how humbling it is to watch the way Jesus works through him on my behalf and the kids behalf and even his I mean I I mean I know I can't convey it and I'm trying but I'm not I'm not going to be able to do it very well but I just wanted to to offer you what can happen when each party of a relationship is loving authentically, even with deficits, when you strive over and over and over persistently to heal, and when you strive over and over and over to persistently give and receive authentic love, when you do that, miracles happen. I would have never, I I could not have imagined we would be at the place that we're at in our marriage and in our family and in, in ministry together. I mean, I didn't think it was possible. And yet that's exactly where we are. And I love having him home. It doesn't feel at all like any sort of imbalance. I mean, everything is finally in its right place. It's finally in the right place. And I am so humbled by that. And I know that we have received extraordinary graces that have ordered us and enabled us in this way. And I'm so thankful. I'm just so full of gratitude. And and it's not just him. I mean, he doesn't have the, the, the power to do all of that. It takes intercessors too. And I have a whole team of intercessors that I, I want to just shout out and thank because it is that bubble of protection of prayer and intercession and sufferings. That's what makes all ministry happen. Not just mine, all of it. So cooperate with your sufferings, first of all in your relationship. Cooperate with them. Understand that it's the Holy Spirit. While the enemy is trying to discourage and defeat you, the Holy Spirit is using the exact same situation to try to heal you. And lean into your weakness. Lean into whatever emotions you have. Go to him to supply all your needs, whether they're spiritual, emotional, mental, or physical. And expect that he will do so out of his love. You are his child. You are his child. And at every single step, he reveals his love. He reveals it in 
in tangible ways, not necessarily with all these consolations and ooey gooey feelings, although sometimes we get that too, but we see him acting. We see him working on our behalf to heal us. We come to realize, oh my gosh, I am kind of being healed a little bit. And, and it gives us the motivation to keep pushing through the suffering and the, the pain of the wounds to a full healing. And as we do that, we, we challenge one another in our woundedness And we set those boundaries in place for one another. We learn authentic love. And then we come to a place where we we experience being cherished in our vocation with the people with whom we are called to serve and live. That's the beauty of the gospel, of the good news. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's the beauty of your vocation, no matter what it is. So our next series is going to be on physical healing, healing of the body. We're going to look at how the body stores emotions and thoughts and how those come out in physical symptoms. We're going to look at some of the connections between certain physical symptoms and certain spiritual and emotional and mental issues. We're going to look at um, healing. We're going to look at a somatic response. We're going to look at you know, does God really heal physically? And what do we do when he doesn't? And why should we even pray for physical healing if we've, you know, and what happens if we prayed and prayed and prayed and we haven't seen a physical healing? We're going to look at all of that in the next series on physical healing. And between now and then, I would love it if you would seriously consider looking at the masterclass because that masterclass, it helps you with the tools of the journey of healing in all of those ways, the, the human person is both soul and body. And so we have, we have those thoughts and emotions. We have a spiritual dimension and we have a physical dimension. And all of those must be addressed when we're talking about healing. Because we are, we are a union. The human person is a union of body and soul. And so it's important, it's important to address all of those things when we're looking at, at healing. So in that masterclass, we look at the pattern in your relationships and circumstances and your destructive habits, the self-medication and that kind of thing. We look at the root of your woundedness and we, we unpack the biological process of anxiety and fear. We isolate and target that root wound. We, remove, first of all, we identify, but then we remove blocks to healing, permanently remove those. And we do that because you have to have uh, spiritual weapons, precision spiritual weapons to remove a spiritual block. And so we, we talk about that. We talk about inner healing and emotional healing, healing of memories. We talk about neediness and, and the biological mechanism of neediness, even in any in even more depth, we talk about coping mechanisms like shame and sugar and, and wine, <laughs> the, all of those kinds of things. We look at boundaries. We look at how to guard our peace. We talk about healing prayer. We talk about strategies for long-term healing. All of those things are in that masterclass. And what's so good about that, it's, it's actually better than a one-on-one in some ways because you can go back and you can listen over and over and over again. So if you are pursuing healing and you need help or you need the kind of help that you can refer to over and over, that masterclass is the way to go. I am Sonia Corbett. And until next time in our next series on physical healing, I am your Catholic evangelista. Be healed. 
Thank you for listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Find out more at BibleStudyEvangelista.com.